Hello, it's Thursday 17th of February. I'm Hannah Pearson. Welcome to part three of our two years of travel disruption series as Gary Bowerman and I chat with Karen Nguyen, group editor of TTG Asia. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So it's almost two years since Southeast Asian nations began shutting their borders as COVID-19 spread across the region and beyond. But right now, every day seems to bring new governmental announcements and more incremental easing of border controls. But the region's travel landscape is still a far from complete tapestry. So on part three of our two years in travel disruption series, we're delighted to welcome back Singapore-based Karen Yue, Group Editor of TTG Asia. Karen last joined us on the show in July 2021, that long ago, and a great deal has changed both in Singapore and across the region since then. So Karen, thanks so much for coming back on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Things are really happy now. Um, I mean, the last two days, you've got a lot of happy news um, with the reopening of Singapore's borders. Uh, we will talk a bit more about that and also happy news from around the region, huh? Absolutely, right? So many good news stories coming in this week. It's, it's nice. I feel optimistic for a change. <laughs> I don't know about you, Gary. I feel overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> a lot to digest. Too much to digest. So let's go back to January 2020. News was starting to filter through about the potential health impact of what was called the novel coronavirus back then. What were your thoughts at the time? And, and when was your last trip before the, the great shutdown? I remember it was just before the ATF uh, 2020 in Brunei that I started to see headlines of a new flu detected in China. Uh, while reporting for the TTG show daily in Brunei, I remember asking some of the NTOs there for their thoughts on it, especially since China was a critical tourism source market for them and the Chinese New Year holidays were just around the corner. Furthermore, you know, the, the disruption of SARS wasn't something too far away to recall. However, there wasn't yet a, a sense of urgency. There was actually more curiosity over the tall volcano eruption in the Philippines, if you remember that, um, and that actually affected air travel in the surrounding region. Anyway, that sense of urgency didn't set in even through February. My team and I went on to prepare for travel in early March to Berlin, where ITB Berlin was supposed to be held. We were supposed to produce the uh, TTG show daily on site, as we did every year before the pandemic. We only knew about the show's cancellation while transiting in Doha. So the next few days were quite an adventure, as we tried to uh, you know, make the most of our time there by arranging for interviews with anyone who was already in Berlin for the show. And at the same time, I was on the phone several times to sort out flight arrangements to take us home. You know, we flew back about uh, three days, after three days in Berlin, cutting short our initial five-day trip. And that was my last overseas work assignment uh, before the pandemic. My last uh, personal overseas holiday was in October 2018. That was the last family vacation I had before I delivered my second child in January 2019. 2018, that was such a long time ago, Gary. Wow, and that sounds like a pretty hectic last work trip as well. So, <laughs> yeah, finding out on transit, that's, that's not the greatest of news. So, you know, how do you reflect then on how your role at TTG um, over the past two years has, you know, has, has it changed? And do you approach commissioning, writing and editing stories for TTG Asia in different ways than you did before? So um, I'm going to answer it in two parts because there are two parts to your question. So um, 
you know, as group editor leading a lean team across uh, the region, my, my responsibilities go beyond reporting and editing. The pandemic truly emphasized the weight of this uh, leadership role. The company had to take some tough decisions on operations and expenses so as to, you know, extend the runway, as businessmen like to say. For editorial, that meant a need to balance cost and content. Uh, so we cut down frequency of our regular issues. Monday issues of uh, TTG Asia and TTG Mice are now produced once every two months. We absorbed uh, TTG associations into TTG Mice and TTG Asia Luxury into TTG Asia. But the hunger for news is, is stronger, especially during a crisis. I mean, you guys will know because you are also content creators. You know, people wanted answers. They, they, they want to know how everyone else is affected, how they're coping and what solutions they can adopt themselves. So while we reduce our um, print frequency, our content output online uh, actually soared. Initially, we created regular webinars with industry leaders joining panel discussions on topics of interest. But as free webinar content grew along with, the, with web fatigue, uh, we paused that and then created the TTG Conversations 5 Questions uh, short video interview series. And Hannah, you were on one of the episodes for this year. You know, so that saw sustained interest and uh, some marketers were willing to sponsor episodes to allow them to talk about what they do. So that was a very long answer to your first question. Now, coming to the second part of your question about how, you know, things have changed with commissioning, with writing and, and editing. You know, if you remember, we used to be out and about most days interviewing people face-to-face, -face, attending press briefings or trade conferences or just catching up with industry friends over a beer or a meal for a bit of industry gossips. We also used to travel quite often for assignments. Now, we depended on, on those social interactions for content ideas beyond what we would get from planned interviews. Because of the pandemic, social interactions have fallen off drastically. Uh, trade conferences are now mostly online, and that limits those useful casual chats that sparked off additional content ideas. So you can imagine it was hard um, commissioning stories and coming up with content. And especially so, you know, in 2020 and the first half of 2021, you know, our sales colleagues often ask us to support NTOs that used to advertise regularly with us. But with most destinations struggling with lockdowns, there was very little positive developments in terms of strategy, uh, tourism strategy to write about. So in, instead of focusing on the uh, prevalent unhappy stuff, we looked up for companies and organizations that were doing things a little differently to survive and to thrive and how they were taking care of the people, how they were taking care of the wider community even when times are tough. Fortunately, two years on, uh, content uh, focus is, is changing. More companies are moving past uh, survival mode and onwards uh, to recovery. So now we're looking more at content on uh, reviving tourism business and the, the opportunities and the challenges that come with that. And while we do that, uh, we have to be mindful about how we describe this era, how we paint this backdrop of recovery. Now, the both of you discussed this at one of your recent podcasts, right? That we are not quite in a post-pandemic era yet. So news reporting should be conscious about claiming that. Yeah, good, a good point well made there, Karen. So come on, let, let's talk about Singapore. And you alluded to this at the top of the show that yesterday we had some pretty intriguing announcements, perfectly timed for, for our chat here today. But if we just sort of take a little bit of a step back, Singapore has taken a, a bit of a different route elsewhere in the region with its vaccinated travel lane concept. Um, how do you think this is developing right now? And at what point do you think we will eventually see this phased out and move towards a sort of comprehensive reopening? I'll begin with a quick background on this vaccinated travel lane system, just in case we have some um, um, friends among us who are not quite familiar with this yet. Um, so essentially, these are quarantine-free travel lanes between Singapore and countries uh, that are deemed uh, COVID-safe. 
so fully vaccinated travellers can apply to get on these lanes and enter Singapore for any purpose without much hassle. Now, Singapore was the first uh, in Asia-Pac to, to adopt such a system. At that time, Thailand was the only other destination in this region brave enough to proceed with controlled reopening to non-essential travel through the sandbox scheme. The vaccinated travel lane, you know, uh, lanes have, have served Singapore well. Um, perhaps not so much for inbound travel immediately, you know, uh, but the outbound players got to breathe a lot easier because travel staff, Singapore residents, rushed to take their overseas holidays in destinations like Switzerland, the UK, France, uh, and, and even South Korea, benefiting from the uh, vaccinated travel lanes. Now, industry players believe that inbound arrivals did not improve dramatically with the vaccinated travel lanes because many social restrictions still remain in Singapore, such as an alcohol ban at night, live music and nightlife restrictions, dining out, capacity caps, basically very little, little fun that they, can, they could enjoy in Singapore. Um, another reason for that uh, is that long-haul travellers to Singapore usually pair Singapore with another Southeast Asian destination to make the most of their long-haul flight over. But with many other Southeast Asian destinations so, uh, still closed, um, even when Singapore re uh, resumed um, travel through vaccinated travel lanes, you know, that, that prospect of traveling long haul to, to this part of the world didn't seem very bright. So, you know, you asked when the vaccinated travel lanes will be phased out. This question is really red hot right now because, you know, on, uh, on Feb uh, 16, the Civil Aviation Authority of Singapore announced it will restore and extend the vaccinated travel lanes progressively. Now, before the Omicron wave, Singapore had 24 active vaccinated travel lanes. But because of Omicron, the daily arrival quota was halved and uh, three new vaccinated lanes with Qatar, Saudi Arabia and the UAE were deferred. Now, on, on Feb 16, uh, a decision was finally made to commence those three uh, new vaccinated lanes, along with new ones with uh, the Philippines, with Hong Kong and Israel. Uh, Singapore will also deepen uh, the, the green lanes with all Thai cities, beyond Bangkok, where there already is a vaccinated travel lane, as well as with Bintan and Batam, both in Indonesia, beyond the exist existing uh, Jakarta travel lane. At the same time, border measures for travellers will be further streamlined. So Singapore is tossing out the seven-day testing regime, as well as the on-arrival PCR test for vaccinated travel lane uh, travellers. So the only test needed is a supervised ART um, at any vaccinated test centre in Singapore within 24 hours of the traveller's entry. Now, I said the question about phasing out the travel lane is red hot right now because of two reasons. You know, one, many, many governments in, Singapore, in, in Asia Pac have already started to reopen without cumbersome terms and conditions. India is one example. They bid goodbye to mandatory quarantine and pre-arrival tests for all international travellers. Philippines also reopened her borders on Feb 10 without quarantine or testing on arrival for fully vaccinated travellers. Even Australia is shedding her impenetrable fortress image with a quarantine-free reopening come um, 21st of this month. So Asian governments that have yet to reopen borders at this point have packed uh, March as their likely turning point to move on from the constraints of the pandemic. So, you know, Singapore takes pride in being an accessible business hub in the region. So I'm sure the recent reopening stance taken by the other regional governments is not lost on Singapore's leaders. So there's greater pressure on Singapore now to reopen to every vac uh, vaccinated traveller, not just those on uh, the vaccinated travel lanes. The second reason is that the Singapore Health Minister 
uh, trade minister and transport minister have all come out to say that the you know Singapore has to move towards a, f- a full reopening soon, uh, without relying on vaccinated travel lanes. And the conditions are set for such a, such a decision. You know, currently Singapore has about ten thousand daily infections on average, and that is three times more than what we saw during the Delta wave. And yet, the, the, the disease severity and impact on healthcare capacity have been less severe compared to uh, Delta. For example, 13 COVID deaths a day at the peak of the Delta wave uh, last year versus two or three deaths a day um, now with Omicron. Furthermore, ICU occupation rate is also lower. And you know, we are progressing very well with vaccination and the, uh, the booster jabs um, as of uh, Tuesday on, on uh, Feb 15, 94% of the population are fully vaccinated and 64% have received their booster shot. So the vaccination drive is also open to kids now. And my seven-year-old boy just got his first jab after the Chinese New Year holidays, joining many others in his school. So basically, the conditions are safe uh, for a safe and, and, and unrestricted opening in Singapore appear to be set. We just need our leaders to make that decision. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the, across Southeast Asia must, must feel like that. You know, just come hurry up and make the decision. But you're right, you know, I think this week has been such a pivotal one. For Singapore, removing so many barriers, uh, like the RT-PCR test or the the seven-day testing regimes as well, um, which is going to reduce the costs. But when do you think Singaporeans, or will they ever be able to buy and fly again? You know, do you remember those days? I think my last trip to Singapore, I literally booked two days before before I travelled. Are we going to do that? Yeah, we will all dream of those days again. The, the Singapore government says a further easing of uh, travel and social restrictions will happen once we make it past the Omicron uh, peak and infections uh, subside. Now, they say this could happen within weeks, according to our health minister on uh, Feb 16. Now, people's ability to just book and fly needs the coordination of all governments. You know, more, company, uh, more countries need to reopen without restrictions to facilitate ease of travel and be clear about procedures should travellers get infected while in the destination. If Singaporean, uh, uh, Singapore residents have to depend on the vaccinated travel lanes alone, we should still see demand spike uh, during the June holidays. That means there could be the ease of book, uh, buy and fly again by the June holidays. Some of the current um, and new vaccinated travel lanes are with countries that Singaporeans favour for holidays and the simplified testing regime on return definitely will help to convince people to just pack and go. I think we need to be alert when planning travel around the region. You know, Asian governments will continue to be very uh, careful with how they reopen, retaining the flexibility to temporarily restrict travel should a new risk uh, emerge. We have seen how governments halted their border access when Omicron came upon us, you know, but they eased their grip when it became clearer that the variant was not as destructive as, as Delta. We also know that it's very frustrating for businesses, for travellers, uh, you know, to um, to experience th- uh, this sort of a start and stop and a bit of a, a backtracking. But at least most governments have kept their promise to avoid complete lockdowns again. Basically, we have to recognise that it may become a norm for border restrictions to be exercised again and again in the face of uh, you know future public health uh, threats. Yeah, that's a good answer. That's, again, that's something that we've been talking about a lot on the podcast. We we have, I guess, over recent months, focused very much on nation states and governments about reopening. But it's not just about single governments, as you said. It, it requires coordination. And certainly in our region, it requires better integration. But let's let's change tack, Karen. Let's, let's talk um, about hospitality sector. Singapore is very well regarded across the region as a very impressive and diverse hotel portfolio. Um, but obviously, the last two years have had key impacts across the hospitality sector. 
how is it shaping up and, and what's happened to the to the landscape there of, of hotels being refreshed of new ones opened is there new investment what, what's the sort of outlook hotel industry or the hotel landscape in singapore um has actually stayed quite active you know during the past two years when singapore hotels had to rely on the domestic market we have seen hotels getting really creative in the way uh, the ways they win over locals. So uh, one example is Far East Hospitality. They roped in various uh, local SMEs that are not quite uh, tourism related, you know, such as a photography studio and an uh, an aquaculture farm uh, to enhance the guest experience beyond the traditional hotel stay. I think this is a change that will stay. Um, hotels were, you know, should no longer be just a place for travellers to rest their heads. There is an opportunity for hotels to be part of the destination story, to contribute to the destination experience and encourage travellers to do more, learn more, spend more in the destination. You know, meanwhile, um, some hotels have also utilised the downtime uh, to refresh the hardware. And we saw a number of high-profile rebrandings. You know, one example is uh, Park Royal Collection Marina Bay, which was previously Marina Mandarin. Another example is Vocal Orchard, which took over Hilton and marked the Vocal brand's entry into Southeast Asia. And so as Hilton gave up the property, it took over another. The new Hilton Hotel will officially open this month, uh, takes over from the former Marina, uh, Mandarin Orchard, uh, which enjoys a, a, a great spot in Singapore's retail hub. Now, Hilton Singapore will be the brand's new flagship in Singapore and the largest in, in Asia-Pac. Singapore's two integrated resorts, Resorts World Sentosa and Marina Bay Sands, are also set for expen- uh, expansion, but completion will only come years down the road. As you know, you know we are relaxing the uh, tra- uh, entry requirements, so more hotels are able to exit the, hotel, the, the government's quarantine program this year. And with that, they are finally able to welcome uh, leisure guests once more. So some of these hotels have come up with new facilities and experiences to grab customers' attention. Pan Pacific Singapore, for example, ramped up its family-friendly offerings with thematic suites and play zones for the little ones. So it's it's exciting times. So even if you're going to be stuck in Singapore for a while, uh, there's still a lot of things that we can do with the hotels. Absolutely. And do you think that there's going to be this period between hotels that previously were, you know, hotels that were serving for SHN, the stay-home notices, and international guests coming in do you think that we're going to see a gap between that so basically is is there going to be a shortfall for hotels perhaps in the very short term in Singapore I I don't think that I don't think that's possible because you know we are not um, letting in um, international travelers um, all of them not at the same time and not all at once so there are still uh, there will still be capacity for um, the initial return of international travelers hotels should be able to ramp up um, um, operations when they uh, regain their control of the property once uh, they're released from the Ministry of Health. So I think we should be fine. Um, so moving on to another key innovation really for Singapore, which was a feature of uh, of your domestic tourism, which is cruises to nowhere, right? And I remember when you were last on the podcast, we were talking about cruises to nowhere as well. And these have become, you know, so popular with the Singaporean market as a way to escape without escaping. So do you think that we're going to see these cruise ships carry on um, with these no-stop cruises um, as borders reopen? Or are we going to start seeing more multi-country itineraries um, replacing them? Um, So as you know, uh, Singapore is moving to to expand the vaccinated travel lanes. But even so, uh, Royal Caribbean is still going ahead with uh, the the arrival of Spectrum of the Seas uh, this April. In fact, they, they brought forward uh, they brought forward the arrival of um, Spectrum of the Seas, and they will begin um, sailing a new season in in April. So these are these are uh, 
non-stop cruise, uh, non-stop cruises. Yeah, cruise to nowhere. These are cruises to nowhere. The same company also announced that they will take spectrum of the seas back into Southeast Asian waters between October this year and April 2023. So this is possible because you know Asia is gradually resuming international travel and tourism. Uh, spectrum of the seas will offer um, um, a variety of of uh, sailing. So short breaks to KL, uh, five nights to to Klang and Penang in Malaysia, plus Phuket in Thailand. And an even longer one uh, uh, across nine nights uh, with port calls in Thailand and Vietnam. So I think that is the the first taste of um, a, a regional cruise that we can get post lockdown. As more parts of Asia reopen to res- uh, reduce restrictions, I, I guess we can expect um, regional sailings to feature more itineraries. For now, you know the current cruise season is is still very much cruise to nowhere programs, and and these will continue to be popular with Singapore residents. Like I said, you know it's really one of the easiest and safest way to get out of the mainland and feel like you're on a vacation. So let's move on to another area that Singapore has specialized in, and that's mice and business events. It is one of the regional centers for both of those, or it was. There's a dynamic and vibrant debate around the world at the moment about business travel, about business events travel. There are polarized opinions in different parts of the world. What's the current thinking in Singapore about the return of business travel? Now, uh, business travel intentions are improving. Um, according to the uh, January poll uh, published by the Global uh, Business Travel Associations, now three in four travel managers expect business travel volume at the company to be higher this year than it was in 2021. Only 12% of respondents expect business travel to remain about the same as last year and a 5% minority expect business travel volume to actually be lower. And among travel suppliers and corporate travel management companies, three in four expect their revenue in, in 2022 uh, from business travel to be an improvement over last year. So that's some positive news there. But, you know, it will take time for business travel to return to pre-pandemic levels. And there are many reasons for that. So one, uh, border restrictions may be easing in more countries, but travel still comes with some uncertainty. So, you know, in consideration of cost and convenience, companies will continue to utilize online meeting platforms for non-critical gatherings. Two, there have been some discussions on how companies may not return to pre-pandemic levels of business travel now that they have seen what they can achieve on their sustainability goals by cutting out non-essential travel. Uh, three, uh, companies' duty of care to their travellers has been greatly amplified during the, the, the pandemic. Duty of care was already something gaining plenty of serious thought before the pandemic, where a company's travel risk and management policy can influence staff hiring and retention success. You know, today, staff will pay greater attention to personal health risks arising from, from travel amid a, a pandemic. So what that means is, even if a company is ready to resume business travel, team leaders, HR managers and travel managers will have to see if there's a willingness among staff to travel. You know, these reasons are not unique to Singapore's uh, ability to win back business travellers. Working to regain travel conf- traveller confidence is, is, you know, required across leisure and corporate travel markets and across destinations. And which is why, uh, you know, Singapore has from very early on um, emphasised the nation's health and safety measures for public spaces, for businesses, for their residents and potential travellers. In the space of meetings and events, um, Singapore also very early on established the Safe Events Protocol so this is through the effort of the uh, Singapore Association of Convention and Exhibition Organisers and Suppliers, uh, more commonly known as SASIOs, and also with um, uh, through the help of uh, Singapore Tourism Board. So both of them lead this uh, SG Safe Events uh, Standards Certification, which prepares organisations and professionals in delivering safe events. So last year, Singapore hosted more than 200 business events. 
And these events had some 50,000 local and international attendees. Some of them were pilot events where new uh, safe protocols were tested, uh, such as the Bloomberg New Economy Forum and the Milken Institute Asia Summit. The good thing about business events is that many of the high-profile ones are planned years ahead. That allows Singapore to you know, continue to work on courting uh, event planners and organisers, even though travel restrictions are still a big headache for us. Last year alone, Singapore secured 26 significant uh, business events, some of which are multi-year deals. So two of the new wins are massive ones, like the uh, Rotary International Convention 2024, which is expected to bring 25,000 attendees, and also the Lions Club International Convention in 2028, which will bring more than 20,000 um, attendees to, to the city-state. Now, it's no secret that um, Singapore's business events industry depends on foreign attendees because the local population is just too small, and the city-state is positioned as the best access to regional markets, to regional buyers. So, as long as international access to Singapore remains limited, business travel and events arrival will continue to be suppressed. I think you made some really great points there, especially about duty of care and, um, you know, how, how it's actually the willingness of the employee um, to travel, even if the company wants to send them, they've, they've got to get that buy-in. Obviously, Singapore, really known for its events, um, managed to secure many and a lot of these are taking this hybrid format. And over the past couple of years, we've seen lots of events, venues and hotels really investing heavily in hybrid technology. Do you see a long term future for that? Or are events gradually going to go back to those kind of in-person meetings, seminars, conferences? You know, there's no debate that hybrid events are here to stay. The online event technology that have come into the marketplace throughout the travel freeze have been able to address some of the attendance issues that were present you know, before the pandemic. With or without border closures or travel restrictions, there will always be folks who cannot fly out to attend a conference or meeting because of overlapping work assignments, family commitments, visa issues, or simply because we just cannot afford the cost of the trip. So hybrid event programs are, uh, are useful for, for such people and they allow more people to tune in and access content. Furthermore, you know, uh, pre-recorded content can be repackaged and sold, adding to uh, event organizers' earnings. Having said that, I must emphasize that not all events can continue to benefit from hybrid or online-only formats. Events with um, attendees who prioritize networking opportunities must offer the, the chance to reconnect in person. And trade shows that need to showcase complex equipment and machinery will also need to return to in-person formats. So we've covered a lot of ground there about the changes in Singapore and the outlook for the future. But now let's talk about something that I know is very close to your heart, Karen, and that's outbound travel. What are the current perceptions uh, amongst Singaporeans about traveling again? Are they itching to, to get overseas or is there a sense that maybe they'll wait and see for the initial period? How do you think that will shape up? Yeah, I think we could, we could get a sense of how uh, that, that uh, perception is because when the Singapore government first announced an endemic transition back in July last year and then in August, you know, they introduced a flexible home quarantine program for vaccinated travellers coming from certain countries like Germany and Switzerland, you know, tour operators and agencies saw a spike in outbound inquiries and bookings. And then when the vaccinated travel lanes came along some months later, inquiries and bookings spiked even more. I remember Dynasty Travel, you know, one of Singapore's leading outbound travel agency, had to reopen its office to host a three-day travel fair to help customers secure their year-end holidays. That's how desperate Singaporeans are to travel. But that's no surprise, you know, because, I mean, Singapore is small and, and Singaporeans are known to be avid travellers. Many have been yearning to regain their freedom to explore, shop and dine in foreign lands. But, you know, Omicron was, a, was an unwelcome disruptor. 
because although it was not as fatal as Delta, it did put a pause on the vaccinated travel lanes and brought back some travel restrictions elsewhere, you know, um, uh, thus disrupting year-end travel plans for many Singapore residents. I think Omicron was an awakening for people, you know, a realization that the trip, uh, that the road to normalcy will have many of such bumps whenever a new variant emerge. So in a way, Omicron was more of a confidence killer than a people killer. Uh, last month, you know, Singapore, a Singapore publication ran a, a feature story on a family who went on an eight-day vacation in South Korea during the December school holidays. Mother and son caught COVID while there. Then the vacation became a nightmare of 18 additional days that racked up about an extra $7,000 in bills and expenses. Not all the expenses were covered by travel insurance. So that story led to a lot of social discussions, as you can imagine, and it ate away some of the travel confidence. So will Singaporeans dive back into travel or wait and see? Mm. You know, just as there are different types of consumers, you know, the, the innovators, the early adopters and the laggards, there will also be travellers with different risk appetites. Um, I think having young children in a travel group may also cause decision makers to postpone their first post-lockdown holiday until say, safety is more certain. So just following up on that, you mentioned earlier on you were talking about the June holidays and there is expected to be you know, a big travel period this year. Where do you think will be hot? Where will Singaporeans be heading to? If the uh, vaccination travel lanes uh, remain, most likely families will head to Europe, probably Hong Kong, to um, the Philippines, to South Korea. These are destinations that Singaporeans um, already love pre-pandemic and the vaccinated lanes uh, just makes things a lot uh, easier and uh, more accessible. And as we start to wrap up then, Karen, what do you see as the deeper long-term or permanent um, changes on the tourism economy and society that COVID-19 has, has brought, you know, just, not just for Singapore, but for Southeast Asia as a whole? I think the loss of hospitality talents is um, a real headache. You know, many people lost their jobs over the past two years, some choosing to exit the industry completely and may never return. Um, the vulnerability of the tourism industry is laid bare for all to see. And that has shaped uh, some people's view of the appeal of a tourism career. Young folks avoiding professional education in travel, tourism and hospitality, hospitality today will leave a dent in the talent pool uh, years down the road. Just days ago, I chatted with um, um, Andrew Chan of ACI HR Solutions on his 2022 ACI report on salary and employment trends. Although hiring confidence is returning, with 45% of HR and hiring managers expecting new headcount this year, challenges in hiring and retention continue to weigh on the industry. Now, the pandemic and resulting economic disruption have also widened the income inequality within countries and between countries. Among poorer uh, populations, early education for children has also been disrupted and the impact will show in years to come. So, you know, when we talk about, when our industry talk about lost travel freedom, and a desire to get back to our, to our holidays, we also need to be aware that for many people, they're just hoping to get back some level of uh, job stability so they no longer have to worry about the next meal. Really good points, Karen. Excellent uh, summary there. So we'll wind up with one final question. I asked you a couple of moments ago, where do you think will be hot for Singaporeans traveling this summer? But let's make that personal, Karen. What about you? What, what are your travel plans and aspirations for this year? Well, I guess with borders reopening, tourism boards are starting to plan uh, trade fam trips and other trade engagement events. So I expect to see uh, more invites to these activities flowing in by April or May. Um, personally, I'm really excited to get back to these in-person business events because they're the best platforms to get content ideas. 
Um, as for my personal holidays, I think I will hold up to, to, to the end of the year in December. I need my second son to get just a little older and learn not to touch all surfaces and put his fingers in his mouth. I pro- I'm probably going to go for a cold holiday somewhere. If not Japan, then Switzerland. Sounds lovely. And I'm with you there about kids putting fingers in their mouths for sure. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of part three of our new Two Years of Travel Disruption series. Thank you very much, Karen, uh, for coming on. We've, we've really enjoyed the chat with you. Um, and we hope that our listeners have also enjoyed the podcast. So don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments about anything we've discussed with Karen or anything we've missed out. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yeah, meanwhile, as always, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, www.theseasiatravelshow.com. And of course, you can listen to every single episode, including this one with Karen, on all the various international podcast platforms. Again, just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show on each one. And if you do tune in via Spotify and Apple Podcasts, please remember to give us a quick rating and a review, as that helps other people to find the show. So that's a wrap for today, and we'll both return next week for part four of the two years of Travel Disruption series. We look forward to seeing you then. 